Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I'm Joel, an alcoholic. Hi, Joel. Um, uh, I want to thank Tanika for asking me to speak. Uh, normally, I wouldn't travel this far to uh, go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, um, but I feel it's important for me to uh, to go other places, you know, and, and hear different things. And, and uh, so I I uh, I first was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous at an early age. My mom's been in uh, been sober since. I was 13, so she's just celebrated 26 years of sobriety, and uh, and I ran around and, and played in, in the Alano Club in San Jose, and, and uh, didn't think anything of it. And uh, uh, she told me at like 15 that I was probably going to be an alcoholic, and uh, and of course, you know, I I rebelled and said no, and and uh, I didn't drink for a long time. I didn't drink till later. Uh, in high school, um, and I didn't drink that mu- much until I got uh, until I was 21 years old, and uh, and when I when, when I started drinking, it was it was it was bad straight from the start. Uh, there was no good time. Uh, I was uh, instantly uh, drinking with problems. There was no. I mean, there was some fun, obviously, because I I wouldn't have kept doing it if it wasn't fun. Um, but I got to Alcoholics Anonymous at the age of 30 the first time, and uh, uh, I had I destroyed my life. You know, I, I, I didn't accomplish anything that I thought I was going to accomplish, uh, and uh, end up homeless and uh, living in a tent, and, um, you know, I burned all the bridges, and, and I did the all the cliche stuff that you're around here. Uh, I couldn't be friends with anybody. I, I, I disowned my family, and uh, and I had nowhere else to go. And uh, I turned to a friend that that had uh, solved the problem of of his problem, and and I asked him for help. And uh, uh, that started my journey. And what I did uh, in the beginning uh, in 2007 was is uh, pretty much just jump on the coattails of other people that were in the program, and uh, and I got to stay for a little while. Uh, and I got I jumped into service uh, and, uh, and my life began began to change and life became, became uh, began to get good and and I got all the things that I thought I wanted and and uh, uh, at five years sober I, I uh, took a hiatus from Alcoholics Anonymous because don't you know I I got this and uh, and my life started to slowly. Uh, get worse and worse and worse. That self will run riot. Uh, I thought I knew what was best for me, and don't you know I got myself here? And uh, and I forgot the 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 first step. I wasn't being honest with myself, and if I wasn't being honest with me, I wasn't going to be honest with you. And uh, and I started pushing AA to the side, and and my life became more important than AA. Uh, and the only way I had that life was AA in the beginning, that from the start. So. Um, but it continued to push AA away, and uh, for the next three years, I suffered from it. You know, I was still, 
I wasn't doing the deal and, and I was getting resentful because I was pushing you away and then blaming you for the reason why I felt the way I did. And, uh, and I did that for like three years and I was miserable. Uh, and I, and my life started getting bigger and, uh, I started doing things that, uh, that I wouldn't normally do, you know, especially in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I started lying to people about little things like, like going home at night because I'm tired. Instead of saying I'm tired, I'm going home, I lie about it. Uh, it might not seem big, but, but those little lies t- turned into big ones. And, uh, Last year, I, I started lying to myself that maybe I wasn't an alcoholic, maybe it was just my 20s. And, uh, you know, I had never, the first time around, I never tried to control my drinking at all. I was just running till the wheels fell off, and when everything was gone, I decided to do something different. Um, so, in the book, it talks about try some controlled drinking, and, you know, what could be the harm of that? You know, seven years sober, uh, that self-knowledge, just because I knew it was, it was bad, that didn't matter. Uh, I had a major surgery in uh, 2014, uh, which put me on heavy, heavy uh, meds. And uh, quickly after that, I was, I was out getting loaded. And uh, what kept me out for, st- I stayed out for six months. And I'll tell you what, the first month, uh, I controlled it, you know, I, I, or I thought I did. You know, I'd have a couple beers, and I'd go to bed, and uh, life just seemed normal. That just seemed normal. And uh, uh, 30 days after taking that drink, I ended up in jail again. Uh, we were in Half Moon Bay, and uh, I got a DUI, and I wasn't even in the car. But, <laughs> but I had been hammered. I was hammered. I, was, I pissed people off when I'm hammered. And uh, what ended up happening was... I pissed the bartender off so bad that she called the cops and saying that I made a scene and uh, said I was driving around in the parking lot. And when I got back from the beach from peeing the dog, there was three uh, sheriffs waiting for me. And uh, we all, actually all of us went to jail that night. My girlfriend at the time went to jail. I went to jail and my dog went to jail. (laughs) The next morning I told her, you know, I never went to jail when I was sober. You know, I'd been pulled over many a times. I've been talked to many a times. I've been through DUI checkpoints, and um, but I, I didn't go to jail. Was it a coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> but what ended up happening is after that happened, I had that head full of AA, and uh, I had that shame and guilt, and I had all these people um, that had got sober with me seven years ago and I had a hard time um, looking those people in the eye because I had lied to them. And I lied to myself. And, uh, you know, last last year they had Acupon in San Jose and, and uh, I was a big part of uh, young people's, uh, my first go-around. And uh, when I went there, I, I saw everybody having a good time and, and uh, I wasn't a part of it. And that's all I wanted was to be have a purpose and, and, and belong somewhere. And uh, and I pushed everything away, you know. Uh, the further I am from AA and, and uh, uh, my God or whatever you want to call it, um, the harder I have, the harder time my life seems to be. And uh, you know, it's weird that you'd ask me to speak tonight. Tonight, uh, if 
if I make it home by midnight, uh, I'll have a year tonight. So. My life's pretty good today. Uh, you know, I, I'm not in service as much as I used to be, uh, but I'm trying that thing called balance. And, uh, you know, my life's a lot different than, than it was seven years ago. Um, and my sobriety is completely different than it was the first time around. Uh, I found a sponsor and I started working steps and I started being honest uh, from the gut of my, you know, my being. Uh, I had never been that honest. And, uh, and I think that's why my sobriety is different this time. You know, um, I can't complain. Thanks. I'm Gabriela. I'm an alcoholic. I'd like to read something from the book just to show up because I learned how to read in Alcoholics Anonymous. Somewhat. Enough. Page 68, how it works. Perhaps there's a better way, we think so. For we are now on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite self. We are in the world to play the role <coughs> he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us. And humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> it is the way of strength. <laughs> All men of faith have courage. They must trust God. We never apologize for God. I don't apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear. I hope he removes it right now. <laughs> and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. Wow. That is so powerful. Thank you so much. This is a really an honor and a privilege to... Be here tonight, it really, really, really is. Um, I go to the same fellowship as Joel, and, um, you know, I noticed I'm not a Facebook person because I don't understand this technology stuff, but by accident, I just glanced once in a while. I noticed yesterday he said he was coming, and I go, oh, I'm going to know somebody besides you. Thank you, Tanika. And besides you, thank you for bringing me. I didn't know how I was going to come here because I can't drive <laughs> on the freeway in my car. It blows heat. So I was really going to rely on God. <laughs> 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 and, you know, that's a good thing because um, he's never let me down. And uh, he's constant and he's, uh, yeah, he's never late. Uh-huh. Always on time, and he's not early. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. Um, my, uh, I'm from Romania, so um, I came to America when I was 14. To my grandfather, he um, raised me, uh, and my grandmother, because my mom, um, she kind of deserted me or something. I don't really know, because she was an alcoholic. 
And um, she never came to see me growing up, except once um, when my grandfather was away. So my grandparents adopted me, and I became, um, yeah, my mom became my sister, and my aunt became my sister. And um, so my grandmother passed away when I was 10. And my grandfather was very alcoholic. He would go away, work for many months, come home. And then when he would come home, he would beat all his children. That's why they all ran away, uh, including uh, my aunt that was there uh, when I got there. My aunt Maria, she kind of raised me, not because she wanted to, because she was at home. <laughs> but when she graduated like eighth grade, she had to go to escape him. And he never touched me because I was just like a shy, quiet kid. Uh, and uh, like um, nobody hits kids, right? Because uh, if you don't stop or don't say anything, um, <laughs> uh, then you don't get in trouble. Um, so yeah, he would look at me, my grandfather, and I would cry. So I guess I was kind of like timid and um, very sensitive. I think I was born at six months due to alcoholism. I was in an incubator. And they didn't have formula in Romania. They gave me some disgusting egg white in a bottle until I was three. So they kind of messed up my egg experience for the rest of my life. <laughs> Mayonnaise, too. <laughs> Just don't show me anything with gooey stuff in it. It's like, uh, but eventually, actually, uh, it must have done the job because uh, it kept me alive. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, my mom came to see us once, and um, before my grandmother died. So my grandfather was an alcoholic, and he drank. And I say that because uh, he's dead, and he can say that for himself. If he would have had this uh, room and this opportunity that we have here, perhaps he would have found a better way, and um, he didn't have that privilege. So this is truly a privilege to be a sober alcoholic in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that has allowed the steps to infiltrate my life and change everything I knew before and give me a new life. So uh, now, like, my grandfather was drinking when he would come home, and this one time um, he uh, was drinking with his friend down the road in a small town. And, you know, alcoholics, they get together. They kind of, like, know each other. How do, how do we do that? We know how to find our kind. And they were drinking and they ran out of booze and they asked me to go get some booze. And I went to the bar, like to the um, bar where they serve alcohol. In Romania, at that time, you could go to the bar and say, give me a bottle for my daddy. And they gave me a bottle and I put it under my coat and walked down the street. And my grandmother lived like on the other side of the street and she saw me. And she said, what do you got there? And I said, nothing. I don't know why I lied. I knew it was a no-no somehow. And she looked and she saw and she went to him and said, damn it, you have to stop your drinking. I don't know why she said that that one day because she had raised all her kids, right, my mom and stuff, and he drank and he did that kind of stuff or worse. And she never gave him an ultimatum. But this time she said no. And he went to a hospital and I don't know what they gave him, but he never drank again. And um, he came back home, and he was less violent. <laughs> he was still an asshole, but he was less of an asshole. <laughs> I know. So, um, so you know, like, uh, yeah, my mom didn't come home because she was going to be killed if he found her. So when my grandmother died, 
you know, she was allowed to come home, and then I got to see alcoholism. So my mom uh, came home to take care of me just this because, because there was nobody else. And she couldn't take care of me because she was an alcoholic. She would, like, leave, and she brought a guy. She would always find these nice guys that was uh, going to be my mom. Uh-huh. She would find these nice men that she would get together with. And um, so, you know, uh, she told me about how my grandfather, um, uh, you know, was an asshole and uh, how much of an asshole. And I came to not call him that anymore. I would call him Gabriel. So, you know, she took me all over, like, Romania and dumped me into another hospital. And so, you know, um, my grandfather escaped and came to America because she, he couldn't face his life and what he has done now that his mom or his wife died. So when I came to America, you know, I was supposed to be this, uh, yeah, this girl that uh, he was going to make right with me. I was going to, you know, like, like I was like his child and he was going to make things right with me. So I think he had really high expectations. And as far as I was concerned, I was coming to a monster because I witnessed my mom, my grandmother died, and I feared that he would kill me too. So the first time he hit me was the last time he hit me. I ran away from home. And um, I just didn't drink. Um, I hooked up with some Romanian wannabe gangsters that stole cards and credit cards. And I didn't speak English, and I didn't have no education. And uh, I kind of, like, borrowed these criminals' parents. Uh, so a lot of people say, oh, I stole this and I stole that. And I say, I stole people's affection. Uh, I stole your family, and I stole your mother, and I stole your brother, because I didn't have a family. And I hated everyone equally. I hated people that um, I didn't know. And I hated God for a damn good reason, because why the hell did he bring me into this world so I can see what I'm lacking in, you know, nurture, parents, love, all that stuff, security. So, you know, I just like, um, I don't know how I existed, but a few times I drank. And normally I would drink with uh, guys. And a few times when I was like 17, I drank. And the consequences were very tragic. Um, I would either try to commit suicide. I never had a good time. I don't understand people that came to Alcoholics Anonymous and said, I enjoyed drinking and I had a good time. Most of the time that I drank, uh, if you didn't fuck me up, I fucked you up. And uh, most of the time I didn't win because my mouth and my ego and my anger was bigger than my body. So I came to Alcoholics Anonymous by the time I was 21. And... Somebody pushed me into a brick wall at Ken's restaurant on El Camino. It cracked my skull and bruised my brain. Uh, I was in a coma for seven days. My face was paralyzed. And <laughs> I uh, came to Saturday Night Live. <clears throat> and September of 1989. And you guys spoke a weirder language than the rest of the fuckers in America. I didn't understand, I didn't understand a fucking thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't go to school to learn, like, a dictionary, what this means and the translation in my own language. I didn't even have, like, but sixth grade education. And now, when I came here, I was, like, dropped from the moon. But I couldn't let anybody know that I don't fucking know. 
So you see what I'm saying? Like, I have to show you that I know what the fuck I'm doing, whether I do it or not. And then convince you to follow me. I know. That's pretty damn good. Um, so, because, see, I didn't know what was happening and who was driving me. I didn't know what was going on with me. I never understood anything. I've never had anybody cook me a damn birthday cake and wish me happy birthday. I've never had somebody hold me and tell me they fucking love me. One time I ran away from home and I went back to my grandfather when I was like 18 because I seen you guys be like, how you doing and smiling? And I used to miss my grandfather after I ran away from home and I thought maybe he needed me or maybe I needed him. So I went to New York and he waited for me at the airport and he wouldn't hug me or shit. But one day I went to him and I told him that I loved him and I went to hug him. And uh, he was really big, like 200 pounds. And I remember that he froze. He was like a damn tree, you know, like a big tree. Because my arms were like, see, they're long, but he was bigger. Uh, like, like he didn't know what to do with it, right? And I knew then at that time that I couldn't stay there. So I left. So yeah, um, no ability to receive or give love whatsoever. You know what I mean? So AA is like, these idiots are like really hugger, but I mean like, come here honey, come here honey, how you doing all over you? I'm like, get that fuck away from me. I'm like, I'm just like from dropped from the moon, I come to AA, you say I'm an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic, you've worked up your life, you're going to tell me how to change mine, and you want to love me. Fuck that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust the damn soul. See? So I just somehow God uh, kept me dry, dry, okay, dry and crazy, long enough to get pregnant. I used to say, I used to say, I feel for the ladies that come into AA that haven't done any steps, uh, God help you. God help you. So, you know, my first year of sobriety, I said, oh, you know, you come into AA and you get pregnant. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I got pregnant and then I got pregnant again because I didn't take anything, not even any birth control. So, um, so I didn't take any steps and I didn't take any suggestions. And um, like I think when I was like, when I was like about five years of crazy living in AA. I had put a life together with spit based on Gabriella's will, and it didn't look good. I remember um, I, would, I brought my aunt from Romania here and her children, and my ex-husband had a couple of children. See, I took him from his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I know. In my disease, you know, when I was like like 19, he just got out of prison, and he didn't want to go home and be a daddy, and I met him in a bar, and we drank and used for a week, and I called his wife up, and I said, hey, your husband's in my house, 
why don't you bring the kids too? And she did. So um, I was a baby. I was a baby. These, I had kids before I had kids, right? And I loved his kids. I loved his kids. We were like alike in many ways. <laughs> So when I was about five years of sobriety, I think I got a sponsor, and um, I tried to read this book with this lady. Her name was Tricia, and she took me through the book, and we got to the part about doing an inventory. But before that, uh, or after that, I can't remember. Everything is a big blur when you live um, in your own way, in your own mind. Um, the restoration, um, yeah, I'll have like eight years sober in a couple of months. It's been extremely slow, but I want to tell you that if you're crazy and you can't remember shit or you don't want to, God is a merciful God, and he will allow you to remember in a way that you can um, receive and restore, not in a way that you think you should have it. And my God has been very gentle, and I don't remember a lot of shit. And if I, he wants me to remember, I will. So, you know, so I kind of like got together with the sponsor and she said, do an inventory. And I remember I did that inventory and I just about had a nervous breakdown because she said some stuff to me like she wanted me to look at my shit, right? Like my part. And I didn't even understand why I should have an inventory. For one thing, I don't even think I understood I was an alcoholic. Anyways, um, so she said, you know, Gabriela, uh, I had all these complaints about my lazy husband and all the shit, all these fuckers. I, everybody, everybody sucked. I had many complaints. I sang this song for decades. La, 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 la. Year after year, month after month, I come to AA with my whiny ass telling you the same shitty story. And now I see some of you doing the same thing, and I say, how did they put up with me? <laughs> I didn't quit. I like it just went on year after year after year, you know, for like nine years. <laughs> I don't even have patience for a person more than 30 days. I tell them to shut the hell up. <laughs> Anyways, so Tricia said, yeah, Gabriela, so, you know, you get a horse, uh, a, a drunk horse thief sober, and uh, what do you got? And I'm like, what do you got? And she said, uh, sober horse thief. And I'm like, what does that mean? I, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. And I didn't know that I could ask you. And even if I did, I would. My pride sucked, fucked me up so badly. Anyway, so when I was like seven years of sobriety, I prayed to God that he would help me. And I tried to go to Mariposa. I tried to go to a mental institution, too, but nobody would take me. You know, I was raising all these kids. I think there was, like, six kids in my house. I was responsible for all of them. I couldn't even follow direction from a macaroni and cheese box because uh, I had a headache for five years. I was suicidal. I would go to the hospital, and I would tell them I want to kill myself, and I don't know why because I have everything to live for, and nobody could help me. <laughs> If I went to the mental institution, they said I wasn't crazy enough. Like, what are you supposed to do? Uh, so I asked God to help me, and I got a divorce. And um, and I lost my kids. And see, those were the reasons why I was living, because of my kids. I lost my kids. 
It was like taking my heart out. <laughs> and I didn't take anything for about three years. Just, I was like a damn cat. Just don't look at me, I'll scratch your eyeballs. People go, oh, I walked around in AA for 18 months, not taking steps. Really? Try walking around AA for like 15 years, not taking anything. Not, not one step. So one day, I took a drink. When I get pregnant. What the fuck? I get pregnant. <laughs> I take a drink, I get pregnant. What the fuck? See, it's crazy the way we think. Like, I'm not going to put anything in my body, right? I'm going to put poison in my body, but not birth control. <laughs> That's how we think. Uh -huh. So here I am, you know. I couldn't even enjoy that relapse, you know. Because, because I was pregnant and I hooked up with this crazy fuck that was a convict from Little Orchard, which is a homeless shelter, which I said, I'm never going to get together with that guy. Never. And guess what I did? All the fucking nevers I said I would never do, I swear. Not only did I deal, do them, but I did them worse than I ever thought I did. So here I am with this guy, pregnant, and, you know, He's a little fucker, you know what I mean? I don't know how he made it in St. Quentin, you know? Fuck. You know, like, like before we, I relapsed, I stayed with him, and he beat me up for a couple of years. Beat me up, beat me up. I went to jail under the influence of anger. Have you ever blacked out before I relapsed? Have you ever blacked out out of anger? You know, you just take a knife and put it in your fucking heart, and then you go, I'm going to kill you. There's no hate. Okay, so in the big book, it says, yeah, we, uh, there's something about this anger. We never want to feel angry enough to kill. We never want to feel lustful enough to rape. I, I understand that. I never feel a little angry. Never. It's like, there's no 50, Roman. It's zero to a thousand. <laughs> so, you know, I, I went to jail for beating him up, but he beat me up a lot of times, and I just did it once, you know, I just did it one hit where he would count and he would drop to the ground, I knew his weak spots, so I hit him behind the neck and he dropped to the ground, and then he uh, whined about it, called the ambulance, anyways, I went to court for domestic violence, and they sent me to anger management for three years, 52-week classes for three years. Oh, anyways, so, you know, I'm pregnant, and he's beating me up, and um, I uh, can't keep up with his disease and this entanglement of domestic violence. You know what I'm saying? Domestic violence and all that shit. Many curses followed me besides alcohol. So, you know, I did um, get sober again um, and did it again the same way. Eventually, I, I kind of shook him off somehow and um, went to Blossoms. It's a one-year program for 
women, they get pregnant. I stayed with my baby, nursed it, and then I went to work and tried to get my kids back. And I almost did. Working two jobs really hard, just all by myself. I don't need your fucking help. I don't need nobody's help. This is my fucking attitude. I go to work. I don't need, I'm a waitress, right? I don't need any of the other workers to help me. I just run the whole floor by myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I did, because I worked really hard. So, yeah, I know. Uh, So, you know, one day, um, (laughs) I know, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, willpower, will, wait, self-will. It's really strong. You can go a long way. (laughs) I went until I was 40. So, yeah, so what happened? Um, I got pregnant, and I was trying to raise Adriana in 2001, and was going to get visitation with my other kids, and I almost had it. And then alcohol, you know, alcohol says it's cunning, baffling, powerful. You know, you just waited and waited, and one day... This convict invited me to go have a picnic during Memorial Day because he saw me go to work and he knew I had money. And he was like uh, one of those people, opportunist, and um, he gave me a drink. And the drink had a drink. And then I took a line. And three days later, he robs me, and um, I am like there with my baby. Three days, you know, I never exposed my baby to anything. Three, four days later, I'm still here in this mobile home with this baby, exposing this child to this shit. You know what I mean? So um, I went home, took a break, called the job, and I didn't tell anybody. And the next day I went to work, and all I did is think about it, think about it. So I went to the bar, and I had two shots and two beers. Then I went to get my baby from the babysitter, and I saw him, and I said, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. And uh, I was under the influence. I couldn't kill him. You know, he could have run away. But, you know, I was buzzed, and I was angry. And he called the cops, and they arrested me. And while I was in jail, they picked up my baby social services. And I said, fuck it. I tried AA. I tried no AA. I tried my way. I'm just going to kill myself drinking and using. I don't think AA works. Um, I don't think anything works for me. I'm going to kill myself. I don't really give a fuck. And it about two years, I almost accomplished that. So, you know, it only took from 2005 to 2007 to have developed cancer in my right lung, had my lung removed, fuck it, drink and use drugs, had a baby under the influence, fuck it. I was going to have an abortion, but I couldn't get high enough and drunk enough to have an abortion, you know. Uh, So, you know, I had this baby in 2007 under the influence. Her name is Gabriela. And for some reason, I lost my mind and my will to live with losing my kids. But this baby gave me the desire to want to get sober. So I started pursuing sobriety. And it took a few months, like until February of 2008. So here I am, 2008, I'm at Mariposa. And I am an empty shell, nothing left. No mind, no soul, no body. I think I was like 85 pounds. So when they take your lung out, it's like four pounds. Yeah, 
there was like an empty cavity, um, you know, empty, 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 everything empty. I couldn't even, uh, I hated women. There was a hundred of them. <laughs> I was very sensitive. Anyway, so what happened, um, I, uh, I was going to leave, but I knew that if I left, I was going to die. Because somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous said, Gabriela, you're going to die. And I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm going to die. And for some reason, for the first time in my life, God came and said, no, I don't know where he came from. And I, for some reason, was at this Mariposa, and I said, God, I'm going to leave. They were picking on me. Everybody was picking on me. I was very sensitive. So I said, I'm going to stay here for 90 days. And at the end of 90 days, um, yeah, whatever happens. And the 90th day, I went to an SLE. So at the SLE, I uh, had a sponsor. I called her every day. Every day I called my sponsor and she said, Hi, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> well, you know what? Love doesn't get you sober. Okay? Uh, you pack all these fucking... A lot of people in AA, I get the impression, maybe I'm wrong, forgive me. It's like, you got to have a support system. Bullshit. Maybe you do. But support system doesn't keep me sober. So what happened is, I relapsed again... Because having people to call doesn't solve my problem. And this time around, I asked, I was at the shelter. I looked over and I saw this fucker that went to prison 10 years earlier. He came back out. I was at the shelter. And my run wasn't even but a few days. And he said, I just got out of prison. I said, really? And he goes, I went in for 10 years. And before that, I go, I remember, I remember you were there for 10 more years because I was going to rob a bank with you. But he was too <laughs> fucked up and I didn't want to partner with a loser that was going to get me arrested. <laughs> so I said to myself, fuck, this motherfucker went to prison and that's why he's here. Where the fuck have I been? Why am I still here? And I knew that there was a way that I could find out if I did something else. So I asked this lady to read the book with me. Thank you, Joyce. And she read the book with me for many, it took a long time, years. It took years to read the book. I couldn't read and understand. So it came very slowly. But I got to tell you this. In my first year of sobriety, here I am at the shelter. I got lung cancer again of the other one, and there's no treatment. And, you know, I said to God, I wish I would have left myself more time. I said to God, um, so I don't have time to get to the ninth step because <laughs> I have an appointment with my maker. Yeah? I said, okay, Lord, you say that um, I knew there was something I must have done wrong, but I didn't know exactly how. And I knew that I would not have a chance to make it right. And I knew that the Lord's Prayer said that if I wanted forgiveness, I would have to forgive them. And I said, I don't fucking want to forgive nobody. I don't even want to. And God is such a good God. He said, that's okay. <laughs> you don't have to. Because he took that. And all these bastards that I wished death for, like my ex-husband, I don't know where that anger went. But the next thing I know is I'm at his bedside praying for his hearing and holding his hand and staying up with him. And I wasn't that kind of wife when I was 
at my best. And it wasn't because Gabriella produced some bullshit of her own or decided she was going to be this way. Um, so every day I was like, oh, I'm going to try God's will. What the fuck is God's will? Well, opposite of Gabriella's will. So if I'm going down the street and Gabriella wants to go to the right, I have to do God's way, which means left. <laughs> I know. So I uh, I just did that. I just showed up for my doctor appointments to watch the tumor. And one day I was at the, in February of 09, they said it's like this big, and then it went like this. By in December, they said, you're going to die. And then... Um, they said, um, yeah, and I go, well, is there any treatment? No, not for you. Why? Because you were homeless. And I said, well, can I see another doctor? And the, doc- the other doctor said, it's true, but he said it nicer. So like, <laughs> I know. So, you know, for the whole entire time, uh, God would put these nice motherfuckers in my life. See, I don't care if there was a million bastards. God would pick the one nurse that this difficult motherfucker can get along with, right? So I could, like, um, be my crappy self, right? Not that I, all of a sudden, became this prompt, able person. God would put people in my life that made it possible for me to just keep going forward. So then I went to oncology because for some reason I said, I want to go see an expert. And they said, we know somebody at Stanford that is doing an experimental radiation. And the candidates, all they have to do to qualify have to be fatal. And I qualified. <laughs> and they said, you can go there. And I, uh, I went. And, uh, and, uh, they treated my lung, and mm. so, you know, the whole time while I'm at the shelter, a year and a half later, people come and people go get houses. <clears throat> like, the whole world is seeing this crappy person drag their broken ass to meetings, <laughs> therapy, Bible study, every fucking day. And God puts me in this fucking platform in front of the fucking world while he's doing whatever the fuck he does. Uh-huh. So now I, I didn't leave myself a lot of time. But, you know, like the following year, three months later, um, uh, I'm supposed to go see how this radiation treatment went. The fact that they gave me medical was crazy because I never even qualified for anything because I don't have a green card or a work permit. Uh, I should tell you the story about the work permit. I was going to send for uh, a work permit, and um, they said, put stuff in the God box, and I go to church, and I put some letter, and I said, God, I'm a citizen of your people. Can I have a work permit? And I left it in my Bible, and I, it took me like three times to send that work permit application. For 10 years, I couldn't even qualify to get one. So um, I got a work permit, and then I find my letter. God read it, even though I didn't put it in the box. <laughs> I'm afraid to ask God for shit. Because he delivers. (laughs) If I ask God for a motherfucker, I'm like, what the hell did I have to pull up up with him? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to ask for shit. He gives me everything that I want. My relationship with God, like the book says, is the most important thing in my life. So um, 
So I go uh, three months later to see the result of this test. And they said it was successful. My tumor had shrunk from three centimeters to like non-existence. <clears throat> every three months I would go back. Every four months, every six months. Uh, I think I passed my five-year mark. I just went to the doctor yesterday. Uh, I'm well beyond six years now. And in the January of this year, they published the result of my test in the medical journal as um, whatever, success. And they're going to do the next study. Like, how is it that a person that uh, doesn't want to live, doesn't have access to shade, uh, gets an opportunity to have this treatment done? Like, people with a lot of money, with a lot of abilities and skills, would die, would give anything to have this treatment. And here I am. So in the last... Um, <coughs> So then uh, the day that the doctor said this, they gave me a case manager while I was at the shelter because, see, there was a lot of things. Like some days I would have to be at the doctor and to look for a place to stay, and I wouldn't know where I should go, and I didn't know who to ask. I don't think I asked people because they weren't always accessible or around. I kind of just asked God, and I said, do I go to the shelter to get my bed, or do I go for the testing? And then um, the hospital would call me and say, the machine broke today, so that would make my decision easy. <laughs> like, like every time I would have to make a decision, I would never have to worry about how am I going to do this. Like, like, God is such a cool God. Uh, you can be a fucking idiot. <laughs> idiot, stupid. You know, if you want to know what God's will is, it'll be like, it'll drop on your fucking leg. You know, hit you over the head. You know what I'm saying? If, when pe I, sometimes I hear people go, I don't know what God's will is. You didn't fucking ask him. <laughs> <laughs> It's so separate. You know, the only time that I don't ask God's will is when I want to do Gabriella's will. So a few times I did Gabriella's will. I said, today I'm going to do my will. Tomorrow I do your will. Cool, God? He said, yeah. So next day I go, okay, I'm going to get back with God tomorrow. Tomorrow. And each tomorrow was harder. To get back in God's will. You know how in the third step he says that it's like a door where God it will want to slam shut, um, but it will open again? <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be really easy, but it was really hard to get back in God's will. And um, it actually happened with, um, I got in a relationship with this stupid fuck that had 15 years sober. Um, yeah, I know. And I found myself being a homewrecker in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one day my family called me. My aunt said, how you doing? And I thought to myself, I can't fucking tell her. <laughs> and then I said, I don't know how the fuck to get out of this situation. Because I really love this idiot. I never loved people. Men were like dicks. Like, no, you don't have a name, you don't have a soul. You know, a lot of men think that of women. Sorry, but you do. And, um, but they, yeah, I thought that of men. Uh, I wouldn't 
couldn't even remember their name. Forgive me, but that's how I felt. So, um, yeah. So this guy was, I actually had feelings for him. And I, did, I thought more of him than just that. So, you know, like I uh, um, had to get out of that relationship in order to stay sober. I know. So, you know, like, because God has something more uh, in store for me. So as I was saying to this guy, forgive me, I love you, but God is making a righteous woman out of me. And he's like, what? <laughs> Anyways, so um, I don't time myself very well. I am tardy for everything. Um, I don't worry about any of my flaws. I understand that God is in charge of my reparation. Um, yeah. The fact that I'm alive and God granted me this borrowed time, the quality of life that I've received here since under the influence of the steps of A are the kind of life that I would never have asked, not because of the things that I have, but um, because of the things that I don't have, but I don't need to have to feel well. So, um, it's so hot in here, I can barely breathe. Uh, thank you for um, being patient with me. I know I don't finish my sentences. It used to be worse. I think in a couple of years, maybe I can finish a thought from beginning to end. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.